Welcome, everyone. You are now listening to episode six of the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. As always, I am your host, Maverick Levy, and I am so pumped for you all to hear today's interview because this story is not only such a cool one because it's such a unique idea, but it also should push you. It should motivate you, inspire you, all of you to follow your dreams, follow your passions, and do what makes you happy, do what you love. But before we jump right into the interview, I want to remind you, follow the socials for the podcast at TBOTBPod. You can visit the website for the podcast, TBOTBPod.com. And I created this website because I wanted the listeners to be able to interact with the podcast in a different way, on a different platform. So on the website, you'll see there's contact information for the guest. There's a picture of each guest. You can listen to the show on the website. There's a whole lot of things you can actually do. So if you have the chance and you're interested, go check it out. And as always, I want to remind all of you that the discussions on this podcast are for informational purposes only. I cannot predict and do not guarantee that you will attain a particular result from the information provided. You should always seek professional assistance before making decisions in connection with the topics discussed. Now let's jump right into this interview. On today's episode of the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success, I'm excited to have this person on. As a car addict myself, what he does is fascinating. And as a businessman, what he has started is over the top. So let's get right into it. Let's welcome Brad Olashansky to the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. Welcome, Brad. Good morning. Great to be here. Yeah, we are sitting, I know this podcast isn't visual yet, as I always say, we are sitting in his garage at what he founded, which is called M1 Concourse, a little outside of Detroit, Michigan. So let's get right into your background. Where did you grow up? I grew up here in Metro Detroit, West Bloomfield, went to Andover High School, which is now Bloomfield Hills High School, and uh, I left town, moved to LA uh, after college. I went to college, Ithaca College in New York to study film production and thought I'd make movies and uh, end up moving to LA. Now you're making movies about cars. <laughs> making movies about cars, yeah. So what did you go to school for? So my passion at the time was, besides cars, was uh, the movie industry. And I'd spent some time in LA and thought it was really cool and thought I could be a movie producer. So I went to film school undergrad and everyone moves out to LA and I did. And I quickly uh, figured out that the most common thing I would be doing for a while was making coffee instead of movies. So <laughs> I went to law school because everybody I met in LA were lawyers. Okay. And so now you started, You did you move back to Michigan? Yeah. So I was in LA for about 12 years and worked in various entertainment kind of corporate law jobs, worked at Disney and Sony and worked for a couple of boutique firms and uh, had the opportunity to move back to Detroit in 2004. We had kids in 2000, twins, and didn't want to raise our kids in LA. So we uh, I was never planning on living back in Michigan ever. Uh, I was looking for a job on the West, on the East Coast. And just by accident, a friend of a friend called me and said, hey, there's this cool little company, husband and wife own it, and they're looking for someone to join the team. They just broke into new industry, uh, healthcare, and has huge potential. So came here and interviewed with them and took a big chance and 
it worked out very well. We grew a really nice business called Big Communications here in Detroit, but we had clients all around the world and we were focused on pharmaceutical marketing. So you lived in Michigan, moved to California, brought yourself back to Michigan. And how did you come up with the idea of M1 Concourse? So, you know, having spent a lot of time in other industries and really had a great run and enjoyed it and had some great success, it was never really that fun. You know, it was fun building businesses, working for big companies, learning a lot, but I had never really tied it to my passion for cars. And I was always hanging out in the car scene in LA and then back in Detroit. And I literally, after I sold my prior business in 2008 and I stayed there for about four or five years, I kept saying, I got to do something for my next business or my next career tied to cars so I can really enjoy myself every day. And that led to a long journey of trying to figure out what is a viable business. Most things tied to the automotive space or the passion space are very wealthy guys that spend a ton of money to, to really follow their hobby and then they never make money at it. So I was always like, how do I do it and actually make it a you know viable business and profitable? So I studied everything from, you know, theme parks and museums and racetracks and drag strips and car storage businesses and flew around the world looking at different things and really came across this idea called car condominiums, which was a concept out of Europe. And a guy in the U.S. had done it in Minneapolis. And I said, well, if he can do it in Minneapolis, I could do it in Detroit. And I wanted to evolve the model into a much higher end concept. So less about storage, more about the man cave, escapism, the private garage is what I call them. And it's you know, putting people in the same community together to enjoy their passion. Here in Michigan, it wasn't by design originally to have a racetrack with it, but I had a lot of interest from the car companies who said that we would rent the facility if you had a track. And I kept saying, well, there's not enough guys that want to pay enough money to make the track viable, but we actually flipped the model compared to some other facilities that focus on the enthusiast for the track. We focus on the corporate client for the track. And it evolved into real business, and that's kind of where we are today and taking my vision across the country now. So this started as something that you were trying to, let's say, break into the industry because you knew that you had a passion and a want to sort of mix your your dreams of wanting to have a business in the car community with building something like M1. So what year did you realize that I'm going to go forward with this? You know, I'm going to really try and make this my next venture. I had had parts of the idea for years and years uh, while I was building this other business. And to be honest, there was a guy who was my personal trainer who I worked out with. And every day he's like, you need to quit your job, stop talking about it and just do it. And uh, I kept saying, well, it's so big and it's so crazy of an idea that, you know, and I had no real estate experience and I had no experience buying land and developing land. And, and uh, finally, I was so fed up with my current job at the time because it was so bureaucratic. The company, we sold our business to a public company and I was working for this giant behemoth and it was great company, great people, but just very slow moving and bureaucratic and crazy policies. And I finally said, you know what, I got to try this. So um, I just literally quit my job and started looking for land and putting the pieces together. And everybody and their brother said I was crazy. It would never work. So on top of the fact that I was you know, a little skeptical myself and you know, I'm fairly conservative in business, I had people telling me like it wouldn't work and no one's going to come to Pontiac and no one's going to buy these garages and no and people, it would have been done before if it was a good idea. And that's why I tell people all the time. If, if people tell you these things, what I learned is if they tell you it's a bad idea or you're crazy, it's probably a good idea. And it's probably, you're probably heading in the right direction. No, I agree with that a hundred percent. You hear those stories a lot of times, those success stories of people that said, like exactly like you said, oh, I'm crazy or you'll never make money doing that. So you just want to prove them wrong. You just want to jump in, do it and say like, I'm giving it everything I can. 
Yeah, and I, and I wish I would have done it at your age. So I think what you're doing is awesome. And I tell you know everyone I know that if they're young kids or they have young kids, like this is the time to do it. Like, yeah, you know, you still got to pay the bills, but you have so much less to lose once you get a family and a house and a mortgage. They're gonna be less inclined to take a risk. You see a lot of people online, whether they're influencers or whoever they are, they say to take the risk while you're younger because you have way less to lose than you know when, like you said, you're 30, you have a family, you have responsibilities, a mortgage payment, a car payment. At my age, you can really jump right in. And if you lose, you lose and you learn. I always talk about failures on the show because I think it's important um, in business and I think in your personal life as well, that when you fail, you really start to understand a lot about why you failed and how you surpassed that failure and got to a better place in your life, whether it's financially, mentally, whatever it may be. So did you ever think that M1 would be what it is today? I knew, I honestly knew M1 would be successful. I didn't think it would be at this scale. Right. I thought, you know, my goal was to sell 150 garages in five years and we've sold, you know, almost 250 in four years. Wow. Um, the next closest project anywhere in the world is 140 ish garages. Wow. So I was blown away by that. But I'm also the most surprising thing was the level of, you know, community and camaraderie and interest from our clients. And it's evolved into a, a much different business than I expected. I thought it was going to be like, I'll keep my cars here, buy some of those things I want to you know, enjoy. And I had no space at my house or hang out with my buddies. But in this community, it's all people with similar interests. It's a lot of business people. It's a lot of professionals. It's people that often didn't enjoy their life before they bought this. They worked their butt off. We have a ton of doctors, which was something I never expected. And you know, for the first time, they're actually enjoying themselves because they have something to do. You know, country clubs are great, but you can only go play golf so many times and you can only use the club certain hours of the day. This is like in people's lifestyle. You can do it anytime you want. Our owners have 24-7 access. You want to come smoke a cigar with a buddy. You want to come work on your car. You want to come to a cocktail party. We do garage crawls where everyone opens their garage doors and has a huge party here. Yeah. And then we bring on, you know, one of the differentiators, the thing I do in this business that no one else does really at our level is we program this. So we have events, activities, speakers. We do drives. We do track days. We're doing a European trip driving Ferraris, McLarens, and Lamborghinis across Europe for five days. We program the lifestyle. So if you're just a non-social person, you just want to hang out in your garage and work here or do work on a car, you can do that. Shut your door and no one bugs you. But if you're social, like most of our owners are, they get to enjoy this lifestyle. The most important thing is, you know, this clientele, you know, most people that are car people are lower key. They're not, you know, we have a few guys that will drive flashy cars. Most of our owners always dreamt of having a certain vehicle or they had the vehicle, they never drive it around town because they don't want to look like a jerk and they yeah. don't want to show off. Yeah. Well, here they can enjoy themselves, not apologize for the success, be in a safe and secure you know, environment, in a brand new buildings that are sprinklered and you know have alarms or whatever they want to put in them and enjoy themselves without worrying about that, you know, running into their employees uh, you know, down the street and saying, why are you driving that nice car? Yeah. Um, so there's lots of aspects to it that are great, but it's really, I say I'm selling community, I'm not selling storage. And that's the big difference between a lot of people in this space. Yeah, because the way I sort of think about M1, and you can correct me if I'm totally wrong, is I think about it as like a car country club. Yeah. It's, it's a place where people can come, you enjoy it, you're really experiencing what you want to experience. Like you said, you can do many different things here. 
whether it's socialize or whether it's lock yourself inside your garage and never see a soul, you can you can do all of those things. And this podcast is really geared towards, as you know, the shit that we're not taught in school as young adults. And I think one of those parts is investors and building relationships with different people, networking, connecting. Yeah, they stress the importance of it, but they don't really teach you how to do it. So I would say one part when you take on a huge project like you took on M1 Concourse, there were many different moving parts, but a large one was funding from investors to make this place actually happen. So what would you say was the biggest challenge that you faced when trying to seek funding from investors? Yeah, so the biggest challenge is people saying I'm out of my mind yeah. has never been done before. People like to invest in things that are have been done before. Investors, generally speaking, are, you know, there's really three classes of investors. There's individual angel investors. There's like private equity or venture capital, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's institutional, which is, you know, much higher level stuff. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, individual investor, you know, this type of startup business is not going to be attractive to a venture capital or private equity. They're looking for established businesses they can take, grow, and then flip again. Yeah, that they have the track record yeah. of showing. But for, you know, these other startup businesses like this business, Obviously, people are going to look at the track record of the person. That's the most important. And I had the track record, but I had no track record in real estate. Yeah, This was in Pontiac in a depressed area. So people like usually look at the land. They go, oh, if I'm investing in something, I want to make sure the land is worth something in case the business fails. Well, this land was <laughs> worth nothing. And it's an area people didn't want to come to. Even though we bordered one of the nicest suburbs of Michigan, it was still Pontiac. Now it's changed dramatically. But when I started this project... This was not a good area. Um, and Pontiac was bankrupt, and there were a lot of fundamental issues. So investors all looked at me and said, cool idea, but eh, I'm not giving you money. So I had invested my own capital. I ended up finding one guy who invested, but we still didn't have enough money, and I had to figure out a way to raise the money to do this. No banks would give me lending. No investors would give money other than one guy and myself. And I was spending money like crazy, and I bought the land, and I started you know, doing all the civil engineering and architecture and all the things. And I said... Well, the only way to do this is to try and sell these garages before I built it, right? So imagine that I, and I created like a beautiful site model and, and I created a, an architectural model of one of these garage buildings. I set a goal, which was just ridiculous. And this is sort of part of being an entrepreneur and you've probably heard this from other people's. I set a crazy goal, which is probably unattainable um, to motivate myself. And I said, I got to sell 80 garages, which would make me the second largest project in the world. 80 garages before I break ground yeah. and I got to do it in six months. Yeah. And everyone's like, there's no possible way. Who's going to buy these garages? Who's going to give you money? And most people that do projects like this, they'll take a thousand dollar deposit from a buyer. So I said, well, I need to get one third of the money. So if a guy on average gave me $75,000 each and I had to convince them to give me the money, I put it in escrow at Comerica Bank. So there was no risk. I was going to run off their money. So I created a legal structure to make them comfortable that I couldn't steal yeah. their money. And I just hustled. I went to, I was standing in the Lamborghini showroom, at, you know, here in Detroit uh, for 10 hours a day with my little model. I'd slept in the back of my Suburban and I uh, stand there and only three people go th- in a Lamborghini showroom a day, basically. Yeah, especially and, in Michigan. <laughs> yeah. And the guy would be like walking around buying a Lamborghini and he'd say, what is this? And I'd say, this is where you're going to keep your Lamborghini. And then he'd get all excited and commit. And then he'd tell three buddies. And, and I just did events every single day. I did no advertising. I did all event driven because I knew that the customer had to interact with me mm-hmm. and I was pitching my vision. And they had to buy into my vision of this, this dream of like, you know, if you build it, they will come and take this concrete wasteland and turn it into something cool. So that's what I did. And you just, you know, just hustled. And, you know, one of the things that you said is, you know, think about taking risks and people, you know, younger people that are trying to do things. I think that a lot of kids think it's easy. You know, one is you got to get over the psychological part of taking the risk, which is important. But two is it's work and they call it work for a reason. Like 
all these people that want to be social media influencers think they're just going to post a bunch of cool pictures of them. You can't monetize that. You actually have to figure out ways to grind it out and work and what makes money and what doesn't. You got to test and learn things. Everyone thinks it's so easy. So they get discouraged very fast because they think you just post a bunch of pictures of them doing something cool or wearing something or whatever. And it doesn't work that way. Like you got to, you're figuring out how to monetize this business. There's a lot of angles to it. And there's a lot of ways that you got to understand the technology and the finances and all the things that it's not easy after you take the risk. Yeah. Work ethic is something I always stress and urge on the show. You have to have the work ethic. You have to be staying up late sleepless nights you i'm sure you know what that's all about i mean listen we're sitting here now in this gorgeous garage with cars underneath us and he's got the biggest smile on his face because he knows that he was standing there with this model pitching his idea that he believed in and he knew other people would only believe in that if they heard how much that he believed in it so you everyone you need to absorb this information because it's so critical that you understand what it takes i mean we're not talking i've had people on my show that you know they've started small businesses from nothing but we're not talking about that sort of level right now we're talking about a major level of construction i mean there's millions of dollars of cars and garages all over this place so it's extraordinary what you've done it's amazing and congratulations to you because you deserve it you put in that hard work but how important do you think it is that people build those relationships for business personal life sometimes how important is it to be a good person in business you know to be transparent and honest with whoever, your customer, your client, whoever it may be. It's the most important thing. And that's why I built my, all of my success on is honesty, integrity. And you're going to come across people that all day long are not that way. But if you stay the course, you'll succeed. There's still lots of very successful people that are unethical and do things that are, but you'll sleep much better if you follow yeah. the honest pathway and just keep yourself out of trouble. That is a very important thing. But also, you know, the first word you used was sort of networking and being nice to people. But, you know, networking is what everything is about you know persistence is important you know you, you talked about that but that obviously you gotta be persistent and more persistent than the next guy which is not that hard mm -hmm. most people just are not motivated and most people do not work hard so even if you're not that bright like that's the first thing I, when i worked in hollywood for years i would say like these guys running these studios are not the brightest guys they're just the ones willing to you know work harder than the next guy and you know stay the course um, I used to say people fail upward in Hollywood because it's like not the most ethical people, not the smartest guy, yeah. but the guy was willing to work 20 hours a day. Next thing you know, 10 years later, he's running the place. And yeah. it's like, so if you can actually be ethical, honest and do that, you're going to be in a great place. So, you know, I think just the results of those things put together, persistence, networking, you know, honesty, integrity are the keys to success. And the most important thing I think is, I mean, fundamentally you have to be honest and have good character but the most important thing is networking you know from day one people often especially now in the social media world everyone thinks people are click away we don't talk to those people you don't nurture that relationship and you don't follow up i mean i can't tell you how many people i know that link in with me or call me and the one time i never hear from them again i'm like you know you just missed a giant opportunity because i met you three years ago and i'm about to buy your service never heard from you again like i tell my kids every single person you meet keep that contact in your phone follow up with them, read, read an article, send them an article and say, oh, I saw you mentioned in this article. Yeah. When you're on a, a in an Uber or in, in New York, they have a Via, which is like a shared, mm -hmm. you know, a shared yeah. van. Talk to the people, don't ignore everybody. And, you know, it's always like, well, why would I talk to the person? I said, that person might be, you know, who knows? I was actually on a train in Europe. I think it was with my son. And it literally gets sat across the table from some guy and just a commuter train. And I started talking to the guy and he was the CEO of Estee Lauder. 
And, wow. you know, we connect, we've shared contacts and I've talked to the guy numerous times since, but it was only because I said hello to the guy and he was like, heads down, like just sitting there. But I do that everywhere I go. Yeah. I tell people like, you should talk to every single person you can and not be afraid of it. And whether or not you ever you see them again, if, as long as they're in your network, you, you never know what will happen with that. Yeah, that's actually something I've learned from my father is wherever he goes, just like yourself. I mean, he'll talk to anyone about anything and he can sit there for hours and talk. So I've tried to acquire that skill. And anywhere I go, you know, whatever it may be, my friends will tell you it might be annoying that I'm going to sit there and talk, but I'm going to do it. And uh, another point that you brought up is keeping in communication with that person. I'll always text people, hey, how are you? Just checking up on you, especially during these times. You know, it's important to make sure that people are doing okay, but you're also keeping up their relationship, letting them know that, hey, this person's thinking about me. They're a good person. You know, If you ever need something in the future, they know now that you were thinking of them and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And also going to meet people just to meet them, not looking for something. Yeah. Especially young people. I say like informational interviews are great. And some people are like, what is that? I'm like, that's where you try and get in with somebody and you do it in a, a non-threatening manner, which is like, Hey, let's just meet for coffee. I don't want a job. I don't want an internship. I just want to learn about your story. Most of the time they're going to respond and say, yes, I can tell you this young yeah. kid knows, you know, they're not. They, yeah. and it's amazing. I mean, there's a guy who's a very successful guy who's from Detroit his name is Randy Kaplan. He lives in LA. He was a founder of Akamai, which is like an incredible company and made lots of money. But he was a lawyer and he you know, had a, a good job, but he wrote letters to CEOs and everyone probably thought he was crazy. He sent out like, I don't know how many, let's just say he sent 20 letters out just saying, hey, I'm this guy and I just want to meet you. And he actually got like 80% of the people responded to him and took meetings with him. He ended up getting a job with one of those guys who's wow. a very famous guy and built an incredible opportunity out of it. But most people would never do that. And they think nobody will respond to them. Yeah. And, and there's always those people that are going to be right behind others, that if you're not working hard, if you're not working 20 hours, there's someone right behind you that recognizes that if I put in this effort, I'm going to be in this place. I'm going to be in this position. So it's important to keep that mentality of consistency, staying persistent, working hard, all the things we've discussed. And the other thing is people think that every idea has been done before. And this is a famous Hollywood thing. Like, Every idea has been done before. It's just the way you do it. Yeah. It's the pieces you put together. So the building blocks are there. The Legos are there. It's a question of how do you build that, you know, whatever uh, thing out of the Legos. And, you know, if Hollywood wouldn't exist if every idea had been done. Yeah. And somehow these movies come out and they're successful again. Same with business. Now with technology and the low cost of entry to, you know, do a podcast. To do this years ago used to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. You'd have to have a studio and engineers and all these people and he couldn't yeah. do it. Now a guy can literally buy some equipment. You know, you've got some nice equipment. You could spend a hundred bucks and have a podcast. Yeah. And people don't realize that. So, but that doesn't get you make you successful. You got to then take that and turn it into yeah, something. Yeah, put it. In, it's about the consistency. That's why I do a show every single week because I know that if I wasn't doing a show every single week, there's probably someone that's going to hear my idea of teaching young adults these life skills or these success stories, and they're going to be like hey, I need to do this every week because there's a ton of stories, there's a ton of information out there that's not being taught in our educational system or these stories of, you know, failure, success, whatever it may be that made these people into who they are today. So exactly like you said, but do you have a story of failure that you would share with the listeners and sort of how you overcame it and how that played out so people can understand how important failures and mistakes are? Yeah, there's many stories of failure. I like to say I never failed, but <laughs> I usually don't share any of the stories. But, um, you know, there's just a lot of things where you make the wrong bet. Uh, you know, here at M1, a huge failure I had was, you know, 
relying on a lot of experts, which you have to do. You can't mm-hmm. do everything yourself. That's my biggest value is probably I don't delegate at all. Um, not well. But this place is overbuilt. Like if I would have done a little pushed a little bit harder on certain areas instead of, you know, I focus more on marketing and sales, which is important and and it made this place successful. But if you look under the ground here, which no one will ever see, we I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, but I didn't have to because I was sort of focused on the wrong things and not really managing the resources properly a little bit. That's probably not a great example because this place is very, very successful. But I've had, you know, job failures where I, took, I made the wrong bet. You know, I worked for a company in LA, I won't name it, one of the studios, and I took a job. You know, it was all about the name and the and excitement. Yeah. I knew it wasn't the right job for me. Um, and it wasn't even about risk taking. It was like, they're bringing off me a lot of money. It's a great name. It looks like a cool, fun place to hang out. And I knew in my gut it was a terrible idea. I did it and it turned out to be a terrible experience. You know, I tried to make it good, turn it into positive, but it was just miserable people and it was exactly what I thought it would be. So, yeah. And there's lots of ideas I've, I've pushed in my businesses. I don't necessarily call them failures. I call it, you know, test and learn, mm-hmm. you know, try an idea. If you don't bite off more than you can chew, you know, if we wanted, we did events here at M1 that people said, you're crazy. We did a, I mean, this is an automotive inspired community, right? I did a rib festival wow. <laughs> and it was, like, I'm like, we'll do a competition for the best ribs in Michigan and we'll bring out like a country fair. And it was a shit show. It was horrible. It was the worst executed event ever. I hired an event promoter. There were literally, literally pigs running around the site. <laughs> and everybody's like, well, that's not on brand. Uh-huh. And, uh, but I learned, like, yeah. don't do a rib fest with pigs running around a high end luxury community. <laughs> it's probably a bad idea. That's amazing. Now, with all those things being said, what would be your advice? for someone, either a young adult or, you know, even an adult in their 30s, 40s, that is trying to start a business or a brand from the ground up? What would you say to them? So I say it all the time to my my two 20-year-old uh, kids. <laughs> They're sick of hearing from me about it. But my daughter just called me last week or two weeks ago, and she says, I'm so bored at school. Everything's on Zoom. We're stuck and living in, a, you know, we can't go anywhere. Everything's closed. I said, start a business. And she said, well, how do I do that? I said, well, put the ideas on paper first. Mm-hmm. Like literally build the biggest list you can of every idea you have. And then narrow that list down, right? And then take those few ideas that you think are cool ideas, whether or not you know if they're going to be successful, and do research. Go on Google. I mean, the benefit you have now is Google. I used to, again, another example, where you couldn't even know if 50 other people had your idea. 20 years ago, you'd be working on something for a year, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and find out there's another guy doing the exact same thing down the street. Yeah. Now you like type it in. You can find out if they have the name of the business. You can find out what they're doing. You can find. You can see all the materials, and you can either figure out there's a different angle on it, or you know I shouldn't waste my time. So you know you just got to diligent. Due diligence is the key. Research, research, research before you start. You know doing it, and not, not to say you shouldn't take your idea and just try it, but why do it if it turns out there's other people doing it? You know I'm always trying to figure out what are people not done or if it's an idea how do i create a different angle on it yeah to make it successful or what's wrong with that idea or what's wrong yeah what's yeah. what's the gap in that idea yeah. that's you can fill in that gap exactly but i like that you use the word due diligence i actually love it because that's a word i use all the time on the show for you know whatever whether you're finding an accountant a cpa a real estate agent someone to do your insurance you always want to do your due diligence and especially when you start a business you want to make sure that when you're diving in you know exactly what's in the water you know exactly what's going to be down there and you know how you're going to survive and come past it and all those good things. So I love that you use that word. Yeah, and that's the key for, especially when you talk about using consultants or experts, like there's a lot of good marketers out there, you know, that mm-hmm. you know might sound like the greatest guy in the world or a woman. But, you know, 
you really got to do your diligence on, on your consultants and your experts and not try and do it all yourself. People are like, oh, I don't want to pay a lawyer. I can do it. You know, I'll, I'll you know, get forms off the internet, you know? Yeah. And I, when I receive contracts, I know immediately that that guy just copied that off the internet and it makes no sense. Or do they, you know, have proper counsel? And that's the thing about, you know, the way I do business and I implore this on other people is like, don't cut corners. The harder route is to not cut corners and to do it at the highest level and to spend money on things that might not be logical on day one. But if you really believe the end product's better by doing X, I mean, here I did things, my builder here said I was nuts. Like I did polished chrome hose hose bibs that, where you turn the spigot yeah. on. And they're like, nobody's gonna care about that. It was $18,000 more to literally change the regular hose bib to polished chrome. And they're like, no one would do that. And I said, I'm the guy that would like to see polished chrome because yeah. it's kind of automotive inspired. Yeah, yeah. And I, it's the funniest thing is, so we did it. I made the bet, literally spent $18,000 more, never got that money back, couldn't charge more for the product, whatever. And I can't tell you how many guys, when they walk in the garage, show their buddies their hose bib and the <laughs> way it works. I'm like, it's hilarious. It's a spigot for water. <laughs> a lot of people, like they always say, oh, like the little things might not matter as much. But in my opinion, they matter the most because the people that really care, especially in your industry, the world you're in, people are really looking at every little detail when, you know, they're going to come into a place and they're going to keep their cars here. They're going to want everything to be perfect. Yeah, this is another level. I mean, listen, at every level in all business, you got to focus on the customer and deliver at the highest, you know, in the highest manner, right? But this clientele... I mean, I'm selling something nobody needs. <laughs> it's all something they want, right? Yep. I market in a way that shows the lifestyle so that they actually want it, right? But when you sell them a piece of real estate that they don't need, and it's really not an investment, although it turned out to be a very good investment for our owners, I don't pitch as an investment, you better make sure that everything is perfect. These are all predominantly men, although it's very family-oriented, and the wives and significant others are often very involved in the purchase and the finishing of these garages. But you better believe these guys, whether they're, you know, CEO of a Fortune 100 company, which we have a bunch of them here, or they're just a retired doctor or they're whatever, they pay attention to every detail because the first thing that this person outside of work has really done, I mean, they buy cars, they do things, but this is their safe space, this is their party space, this is their favorite place. And they literally look at every nail pop, every yeah. piece of steel, every the concrete, the way it's troweled. So like trying to stay on top of that stuff. And the good news is I was... I was the customer, so I designed everything around what I would want. Yeah, and that's always a benefit because yeah. I know myself. I'm crazy OCD, as I can tell you are, <laughs> and like every little detail has to be there for you to be like, okay, yeah, this fits what I want, and yeah. I'm gonna spend the extra money to have something like this in my life. Now let's sort of switch topics and, well, no pun intended, switch gears a little bit here, and let's talk about your new venture, the Motor Enclave. Will you explain to the listeners what that is? Yeah, so basically. M1 was a one-off, you know, it was obviously I didn't realize it was going to be this, this successful. And I had people calling me from all around the country saying, we read about M1, we've come to M1, we heard about M1. You need to build one of these in Austin, in Scottsdale, in Connecticut, in Atlanta, in Tampa. And I started flying around meeting with people. And uh, I realized that there's a, there's a huge opportunity and M1 wasn't an anomaly. It wasn't just because of Detroit. People thought, one, they thought you were successful because you knew everybody. Turns out I didn't know 99% of the people that bought garages here. It's not in my prior network, right? Mm -hmm. So I sold garages predominantly people I didn't know. So that was like, I'm like, I can go anywhere with this. But two is, it wasn't because the auto, people think M1 successful because the automotive industry here and because there's such a huge car scene. There's a giant car scene in every city, right? Not, listen, Detroit's got probably the most vehicles, but most of them are 
you know, old cars because of the auto industry. Everyone had someone worked in the business and their grandfather left them a car. You have a decent amount of modern performance cars, but not compared to a lot of other cities. You go to some other cities, there's way more exotics and performance cars and things. So I started looking at the data. That's another thing I'd encourage people to do. When you talk about due diligence, there's so much data out there and you can acquire that data. You can acquire it for free by trolling the internet and finding it all kinds of places. There's all kinds of white papers and studies and things that someone paid lots of money for and they put it online for some reason, which they shouldn't. Um, But there's also data you can buy. You can buy vehicle registration data, literally. You could buy where every car is located in the United States down to zip codes. Wow, that's cool, I didn't know that. You can buy data on growth and wealth. You can buy data on affinities and people that have planes, people that have boats, people that have different things. Literally, there's companies that sell this data and they acquire the data through all kinds of different means. They acquire data, I found out yesterday, a company acquires data on cars when they go to service at dealerships. You know, you can't buy a certain level of car data. There's a company that literally mines the data. So if you have a Lamborghini, Ferrari, Porsche, whatever, every time you go to service, they're going to keep track of it. And they sell the data to say, where is that car located? They don't give, some of them have your name, but most don't. But there's crazy amount of data. So I took that data and I said, well, listen, my people are telling me they want me to come to their town. My gut feeling is it will work, but will it really work? I took that data and basically mapped out the United States using a combination of car registration data, wealth and growth data, and create a heat map of the US and looked at where can we put these projects. And some of them, I thought, you know, this project is what we call an auto country club because it has a track and has yeah. an experiential component. Most of the projects are just garages, condo communities with a clubhouse element. And that's the main concept. The track is great. It's very hard to get approved anywhere, number one, and it's very hard to monetize. It's not technically a race track, No, right? we don't do races. Yeah. That's the thing. If you try to do races, you'll never make money. Um, but it, if you don't focus on the corporate business, you won't. it's not viable for a bunch of wealthy guys to drive their cars. Yeah. The car enthusiast market is giant. The racing audience is small. And the racing audience of people that actually have money that can afford to race at the level that you'd have to to keep it viable is minute. It's, it's 1,000 guys in the United States. Um, so I'm focused on the general enthusiast, the person that wants to have a cool place to hang out and solve their storage issue. So anyway, mapped out the whole country, identified 20 cities, and some for the whole auto country club, some for the private garage community, and even looked at the storage business where you just rent a spot in a warehouse and uh, decided to take the show on the road, so to speak, and built a new brand. M1 is a great name, but it's really, that's the name of Woodward. People think I made the name up, but it's M1 because we sit on Woodward, which is a state highway M1. So I wanted to create a brand that really could go across every city that I wanted to be in and the main idea, though, as I started to think about building one more was, can you build multiple facilities, use the same brand, and have the same experiences and have members kind of reciprocity? So if you own a garage in Columbus, Ohio, you come to Tampa to use the track. If you're a member in Tampa and you want to come to Nashville and come to a concert, we'll have an event at our facility. If you're in Detroit and you want to go to Austin, Texas, you can do that. So, and our sponsors also, we have some big name sponsors. You know, we'll have courtesy cars, we'll have events, we'll have luxury brands. They'll be able to take their sponsorship across multiple sites and get exposure to many more people. That's awesome. So it's just a much bigger idea. The good news now is I'm not pitching a crazy idea anymore. One is it's proven but not by myself only, but other people built these facilities successfully. No one's done it at scale multiple sites on the same brand. Now when people say, cool idea, and they and I literally had someone come up to me in Tampa recently where I'm building a project and said, yeah, this is just like M1 in Michigan. And I said, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so if I can show what I did now, the credibility factor is 10 times easier. And it, you know, I'm raising a significant amount of capital right now for these projects. I raised two thirds of it since, since January one. And it's been relatively easy because I've, I've done this exact business before Mm -hmm. and not just been a successful entrepreneur. So 
they're betting on me and the concept. And when you combine the two with experience, it's a lot easier than just saying, this is my you know, pie in the sky idea. That's awesome. That's a cool story because you see what you created here and now you're expanding it to other areas. And what you do is actually very cool because you're filling people with enjoyment. You're creating something that people come and they're enjoying themselves. They're sort of being stress-free, hopefully most of the time. And they're in their happy place. I'm sure a lot of people you would agree with associate their garages with their happy place, with the place where they can sort of disconnect and enjoy you know, what they've worked hard to earn. With all that being said, when you take a step back and you look at what you've created, how amazing do you feel inside? Do you love it? Like when you drive out of here at night or when you pull in here in the morning, are you like, holy shit, like I actually did this? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I don't, unfortunately, don't take a lot of time to uh, reflect and enjoy it because um, I'm still, for some reason, just I work long hours and grind it out. And there's a lot of a huge scale to what I'm doing right now. But it's a great analogy. When I walk, when I drive through here mm-hmm. and you look and you talk to the people and they're all happy and they're enjoying themselves. That's the best feeling. The monetary part aside and all the hard work, when I'm here at a, a garage crawl and everyone is like, you made my dreams come true. Like there's how many business can someone say that and actually be real? And it sounds you know corny, but like I get people that are successful, you know, very high net worth, running companies with tens of thousands of employees, built great businesses. And they're telling me like, you made my dreams come true. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, 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 that's okay. But it's true, like I'm giving someone the ability to enjoy themselves and too many people wait their whole life to do it, especially car people. They're like, I'm gonna wait till I'm 70 to buy that Corvette. And I'm like, well, you might die or get hit by a bus or something might happen or get sick. Enjoy yourself now. And then we give them this platform to do that. So that's the way I reflect, talk through my owners and their happiness. I mean, our new tagline for the Motor Enclave. So my new brand, by the way, is the Motor Enclave. And the reason I use that name is people always said to me, this is like an enclave. It's a safe place. It's a city within a city. It's its own universe. And the name really works well. And my tagline is live your dream by owning it. And it's obviously a double play in words because we don't rent spots. So some people try to do this in a leasing model. It doesn't work because yeah. someone leases a garage. They're never going to decorate it the way they do here. They're never going to hang out there. They might change their mind a year from now. But I literally give them people the ability to live their dreams and they can own it in terms of take advantage of it and put their energy into it and enjoy their passion. But actually physically own a piece of real estate. That's awesome. People love the tagline. Most people miss the uh, wordplay, but I think it works well. No, that's awesome. And I love to see the smile on your face when you talk about all this stuff because it shows me that you're truly passionate and that you truly care. Now, sadly, we're coming down to the last few minutes of this interview because (laughs) I've enjoyed it. I've loved it. What has been your favorite part of building something from the ground up? Literally. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's all aspects. I'm frustrated now by like the minutia and like if I spend two hours in a meeting about water management in Florida and sewers and things like that, it drives me bonkers and I should just let my consultants run with it. My lawyer in Tampa says, why are you in these meetings? You're crazy. But also it's an important thing for entrepreneurs. Like if you take your eye off the ball, you're going to overpay and someone's going to miss something because they don't understand every aspect like you do. But you know, just the learning, I, I love learning new things every day. And while some of it may be boring, like the base of knowledge that I've created. So, you know, whether I want to build a new house one day, I've learned so much more about construction. I've learned about real estate. You know, I've learned about people. So many in this business, the best thing is I, I work and meet with entrepreneurs every day because all my yeah. owners are entrepreneurs, doctors, professionals, lawyers, whatever. And I hear all their stories. Um, and, you know, I've got a bigger vision beyond the real estate play for this audience. You know, there's a lot of things you can do with this group of people. And they, you know, most of the money I've raised to date for the new project are from owners here at M1. They have no connection to other sites, other cities. They obviously 
like me, trust me, know that I execute well, but you know, they love the concept and they're willing to put their money, you know, towards it as a good investment. And that just says it all. If they're willing to bet on the next city where they don't live or don't have a connection to, and you know, it's not their garage, that's a big part that of it. That shows so, you something. Yeah. So it's all aspects of it. And really the underlying part, which I don't enjoy enough, is I'm around cars all day. Yeah. And you know, people are like, oh, you can drive cars on the track every day. I've been on this track like four times. Wow. Um, I do car events, which is exciting. In the last year, I've checked off a lot of bucket list items of European Road Rally. I'm doing the Gold Rush Rally this week. Um, I did Pebble Beach. I did Amelia Island. I did all these famous car shows. And those are things I put off for years and years. So yeah. I'm trying to weave in a little enjoyment through the work. And as we you know, build this facility in Florida, we're building one in private garage community in Columbus, Ohio, and then Nashville are kind of the first three sites. Every day is the same sort of, you know, meeting great people. So excited. We did a launch event two days ago in Columbus and no one would think Columbus is a huge, you know, car market. But it was the same thing, like, oh, my God, this is my dream. I've heard about these ideas. I want a garage. I mean, literally have people clamoring to buy garages. And we're not even starting to sell talk to our first, and people are like, how can I give you money? And that's another thing. I've never been in no, business. That's got to be a great feeling, I've too. never been in business where people are like, I want to give you money today. Yeah. They're begging me. I'm like, no, no, no. We're going to do this in a you know certain process. All right. So lastly, Brad, what do you wish you knew when you were in your early 20s? I wish I knew I had the internal confidence to do a business on my own. I mean, I, had, I have no regrets about my career, but I probably would have achieved a lot more success and be able to control my destiny more if I would have taken that risk in my 20s. And that's my my biggest regret. That's why I tell people, like, take the risk now. I, mean, I went from college to law school, right to work, had a family, got the mortgage, and then was like, I can't leave this job. I'm making good money. Can't jeopardize my kids. And uh, if I would have just taken the step from day one and tried a business, whether or not it was successful or not, I probably would have done more and probably would have been a little further ahead. I mean, but I have no regrets on it. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been amazing. You've taught so many life skills that aren't taught in school. So I thank you for that. And overall, this has been one of my favorite episodes. So thank you. It's truly great. Thanks for having me and uh, good luck with the podcast. It's awesome. Thanks. That interview with Brad was not only amazing, it was over the top because of all the information that he shared that we can learn from. He also showed how important it is to be a leader. He took lead on an idea that everyone called him crazy for, and he created something so successful and so grand with M1 Concourse. And as he moves on to his new venture, he's doing the same with the Motor Enclave, creating car communities all over the country. So hats off to you, Brad, and thank you for coming on the show. And that should show all of you, my listeners, to always lead by example. Now, before we get out of here, I want to give you such a big thank you from the bottom of my heart, because recently this show charted in the top 200 in the entrepreneurship category in the Apple podcast app in the USA. I can't tell you how much I appreciate all the support I've gotten for the show because it truly, truly means the world. I will not stop doing the show. It will continue to grow and it will continue to be the best of the best podcasts out there. That's it for today, everyone. Thank you for listening. This has been another great episode of the best of the best Mavericks Guide to Success. I'll talk to you all next week.